Last week I recalled to you Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that was vital to revival during the time that he preached it. It was integral to the time that we call, in American history, the Great Awakening. Someone else who was equally as important that God used was George Whitfield. Ben, Benjamin Franklin was enamored with George Whitfield, and he estimated that before the times of electricity and speakers and microphones, that 25,000 people could hear and understand his preaching. That's amazing, isn't it? God used him in this country, used men like these, messages of the gospel to start a revival in individuals and in this country. And it had such an impact on the people at that time that as time went on and those generations of Americans had passed on that leaders wanted to see and began to pray for revival in their own times in the early 1800s, late 1700s. What we call the Second Great Awakening started roughly 50 years after Jonathan Edwards gave that impactful sermon in 1741, but there was an issue with the Second Great Awakening that wasn't seen so much during the time of the First Great Awakening. Things didn't seem to stick like they did 50 years earlier. An attempt to see people come to know Jesus Christ, the gospel was starting to get watered down a little bit. Instead of talking about the perils of hell and sin and the wrath of God and the needed repentance and the great grace of God and the gifts of faith and forgiveness, instead of those things being preached, and the need to be born again, we started seeing what we call an easy believism creep its way into American doctrine. We started seeing the first altar calls where the preacher would not end the service or the last song being sung until a certain amount of people would approach the altar and confess Jesus we saw the first sinner's prayers being conducted where someone would repeat the words after someone praying, asking for salvation begin. The problem issues weren't calls to salvation or prayers being prayed to God for salvation. The problems were the promotion of easy believism, that if you just pray what I pray, then you're saved. Or you just come to the front in the height of your emotions, then you will be saved. Jesus says it's, it's more than that. He says in, in Luke chapter 14, <clears throat> if anyone comes to me, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, 
he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the costs, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down and first deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. All it takes is faith. But it's a faith that is measured. Is this what I want to follow? Is this what I want to obey? Is this what I truly believe in? Or am I just repeating the words? Am I just showing up? Am I weighing the cost of these things? You see, sin was not being preached, but a watered-down gospel, a man-made attempt to bring revival. John says, of Jesus, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, people were coming by the will of man and not the will of God. And when they fell away, because they hadn't really come to Jesus and the trials of life will show what we were left with was not a Christian country, but a Christian culture. We had revivalism and not revival. And we struggle with it in this nation to this day. Many confess to be Christian, but for them there is no repentance no true faith, no weighing the cost of what it means to follow Jesus, no gospel. Because there's no true gospel, no new birth, no new life, no putting off of sin, no Jesus Christ as Lord, no renewal then. In Ephesians 4, verse 17 and following, Paul says, now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God 
and true righteousness and holiness. There's a difference. If you are in Christ, you are in the fight, though. You are running the race. You have weighed the cost and taken up your cross. You are in the battle against sin and in the war for God's glory. You take the punches that Satan and life and the world hit you with, and by God's grace and in his strength, you keep getting back up and in the fight. But we get weary, don't we? We get weary in the fight against sin, the fight against Satan, the fight against the world. We get tired. We truly have been made new, but we need to be daily renewed. We need revival. We need it in our own hearts. Our nation truly needs revival. But there's only one way revival will happen. It will only come from and through Jesus Christ. We can pray for it to happen. We can want it to happen. We can't make it happen. We can only turn to the reviver to make it happen. And that's what I want us to do today. Turn to Jesus for revival, not a revivalism that we force on others, but a revival of our own hearts, our own souls that come to Jesus. So I want to encourage you today with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A revival anywhere starts with a revival inside of you. Inside of you. It's not looking outside to who else needs Jesus first, but a looking inside on how much you need Jesus. If your heart is in need of revival right now, and you know your heart, Let's turn together to the one who is high and lifted up. So Isaiah 57, 15. First we see the Holy One. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The world that we live in, that you live in, that I live in, is filled with competition for God. Now, it's not a real competition because there is no competition for God. But things we place, we turn to, and go to that are created to fill our hearts, to occupy our eyes and our minds, our lips speak of them, to fill our bellies with that are not God. That's exactly what they are. They're creation. Something created. But God is not like them. The one who can truly revive the heart who can enlighten the eyes, who can cleanse the lips, who can fill our bellies. He is high and lifted up as opposed to something that is merely created that will fade away 
or waste away or die away or be used up. God is high and lifted up. He inhabits eternity. He always has been and always will be. He dwells in a holy place, not like the one that we inhabit at this time, full of sin and death and destruction. Where do you turn to for your heart to be lifted up? Where do you turn to for revival? Where do you truly turn to? Do you turn to him? Do you turn to his creation for what, for something that only he can give you? We get distracted. We lose our focus. We start getting focused on the things that we shouldn't be focused on. How many people gathered with loved ones for the holidays? Yes, raise the hands. Nobody else, just us, a few people. People you haven't seen in a while. People you enjoy being around, maybe. Right, we, we did. We, we saw some family members from Florida. Kids are the same age. Enjoyed being around them. But something that's it's weird to our current day and age is we, we get around people we love, people we're excited to see, and we'll gather around, and you see so many people aren't enjoying each other's company or conversation, we're focused on our phones. Or we'll just now go out on a date, and you'll see couples sitting at a table, and they're both on their phones, and they're barely talking to each other the whole night. What is important? What is good, it's right in front of them, right around them. But what they're focused on and distracted by is something basically meaningless. We get like that with God. We, we place all sorts of things in our lives to just give us mindless distractions when the God of the universe is right there for the loving for the taking, for the enjoying. We focus on everything except the important right thing in front of us. So sometimes God will prompt us. He'll prompt us that a revival is needed by first showing us what we are feasting on instead of him. That we're filling our lives up with Instead of him. Paul says in Philippians 3, 8, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's a heart posture. When compared to Jesus, everything else is rubbish. And if your heart has no desire for Jesus, you wake up in the morning, you don't want to pray to him, you don't want to feast on his word, you don't want to fellowship with his, his people, you don't want to sing to him, maybe you've placed too much rubbish in your life that is filling up your mind, filling up your eyes, you're consumed with. 
that he would have you cut out. I know that's the case for me. This message comes from a place of my own heart, my own need. This isn't in our study of Romans plan. These are things that my own heart needs to hear. So we want to turn not to ourselves for revival, not to man, not to creation, but to the one, the Holy One, that we may gain Jesus. Next in Isaiah 57, 15, we see the lowly ones. God says, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. A contrite Contrite means someone who is expressing sorrow or remorse over their sin. They are truly repentant. God dwells with the one expressing sorrow and remorse over their sin. They are truly repentant, changing, wanting to change. We see this in real revivals where people are truly change is that there's a genuine repentance. We often see a big confession of sin going on because people are, they don't want Satan to have that foothold. That's what the, one of the joys of confessing sin to others is Satan's not going to have that old for you anymore. When we know what we're struggling with, what we're going through, and we're asking for prayers of our brother and sister, then there's not that temptation to hide it and keep it away and worried what others think of you. You're there before God. You're entrusting your heart to God. So a contrite heart. Also a lowly heart. Not sitting, not one sitting atop the cross, looking down at sinners gathered there, but they are the ones on their knees at the foot of the cross, looking up at their Savior. We tend to be the former and not the latter, seeing the sins of everyone else, but forgetting that we are the sinners who need Jesus. We tend to look out and see who else needs revival and not the fact that my own heart needs it the most. Luke 18. Jesus told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
easy to notice sin in the world, what others are doing or have done that they should not have done or need to do better. But part of being humble, being the lowly, is recognizing it in yourself, recognizing your need for Jesus. God says, I dwell with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Those who will be revived are not the ones pointing out all the other people who need revival. They are the ones who know they are the sinners. They know the gospel. They confess their sins. They are the ones who dwell with God. So if you do not know the Lord, if you are here today, and we are thankful that you are, you do not know that there's a holy God, high and lifted up, and that you have sinned against this holy God. There is a real punishment for all of us in eternity in hell, away from God, away from the treasure of Jesus Christ. But God has made a way. He has taken that punishment. For all who measure the cost, who look at the cross, who surrender their lives to him, who have faith and entrust that that punishment was for them, and now I'm going to live my life for you, and I will spend an eternity with you. That is the gospel. I pray that you will consider the gospel. The Lord grants contrition, remorse, repentance, sorrow over sin. He grants humility. We turn to him and him alone, and then we are renewed by Jesus Christ alone. He says in the last part of Isaiah 57, 15, this is why he, he dwells with those of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So what is revival that God is speaking of through Isaiah? It means a renewal. It means to give new life and energy. The fact that it comes in response to contriteness shows that it is a restoring from a backsliding or from a failure to fight against sin, a sinfulness. Your feet, if you will, are being re-washed by Jesus Christ. There's this wonderful passage in John 13. Let me flip there. where Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. It's now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus 
knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. There's this idea that the Lord washes us at new birth. He gives us new life. But then as we go along and in life, we tend to dirty ourselves up, and we don't need that being made new, but we need to be renewed. We need that, that foot washing, if you will. This renewal comes to the lowly. It comes to the humble, those who are, know they are in desperate need of it. Jesus Speaking in Revelations chapter 2, says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up from my namesake, for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. There's a need to be restored, revived, renewed to the love that we had at first. The saving, life-giving love of Jesus Christ. Do you need that kind of revival? Do you need to be restored to the love you once had for Jesus. I know I do. It comes to those who know they need it. It comes to those who are repentant, who are contrite and lowly. What is revival? It isn't salvation because you have already been saved. You are not made, being made new, but you are being renewed. You're already declared righteous by God. So it's not that because we never lose our place with him. It's a knowing that God is there. It's knowing the truth that he is there and wanting to be restored to feeling that closeness with God. It's like the sun. We know it's there. Days like right now, we can see that it's out there. But there's days when it's cloudy. Those days when it's winter. And it's the middle of the day. We know the sun is up there. 
But the clouds have got in the way, haven't they? Or the winter, the season that we're in, makes it so that we can't feel the warmth of the sun like we once did or like we usually do. Revival is the clouds parting, the season of coldness and distance ending. It's the clouds that your sin or the weeds of life had put between you and God, and it restores your strength. It restores your love for him. It restores your surrender to him in all aspects of life, these things that we hold on to, don't we? We hold on to things that we just don't want to give up to God. It's the giving up of these things. It's the renewal of the commitment to God. It's the restoral and the renewal of our thinking to be in line with the word of God and instead of being in line with what the world teaches or what we come up with ourselves. It brings us back to Jesus It brings back our hunger for the word of God. It brings back our hunger and our desire to serve and to give and have fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It brings back our desire to share the gospel with those who do not know him. Revival revives all aspects of us, but it brings us back to God and revives our hearts. We can't force revival. So some application. We can't force, create revival. It has to come from God. It comes through his word. It comes through his truth. So commit yourself regularly to ingesting, reading, studying, listening to, memorizing the word of God. Being in the word of God. Titus 3 4 4 through 6 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He is the one doing these things. It's not a New Year's resolution. It is a work of God in you. And maybe you're sitting here today thinking, I want that to be done in me. I want to see God fresh. I want to love God like I once loved him and be passionate for him and his people like I once was. Well, that's God bringing that prompting to your heart. So follow that doesn't start with what you think others need, but it starts with yourself. So if God has pricked your heart with a desire to be renewed, press into that. Surrender to him what you're holding on to. Listen to him what he's showing that you have put in your life the clouds, if you will, that are keeping you from enjoying the sun. I, I use this illustration over and over, but I believe it's, it's true. If, if you're, you're waiting for a big feast of Thanksgiving or a holiday feast or a big feast, 
and you fill yourself up with potato chips all day long so that you're no longer hungry when it's time to eat that delicious feast, you should probably put away the potato chips and enjoy the feast. If you don't have a desire for God, if he has caused you to be born again, but you find that you wake up in the morning and, and your desire is for so many other things but meeting with God or serving. Your desire to spend your time is for so many other things but serving God or your desires to spend your, your, your money on so many other things, mammon. Right, filling yourself up with items. How great of a feeling it is waiting for an Amazon package to uh, to arrive. Right, we fill ourselves up with junk. I do this, and then we we get it and we have it, and we go back to that same lacking feeling. We're needing something else. We're filling ourselves up with too many of these things. Let's seek what God would have us to cut out. But it also continues with us. We need to know that God isn't a save them and let them go God. We need to know that we need to be renewed day by day. We need it. We need revival in our own hearts day by day. It continues in us. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Though this outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed, revived day by day. We need it day by day. We all need daily renewal, daily revival. And I'm not sitting here telling you that a Revival of repentances needed in you right now. You know your own hearts. You know where you are before the Lord. Some of you, God bless it and praise him, may be in a sweet place with the Lord right now. And that is wonderful. Praise God. You have the Holy Spirit. You know your heart before the Lord. You know the love that you had at first or at one time in your life, and you know where you are right now. How do they compare? That sweet time when you felt so close to the Lord, how does that compare with where you are right now? How does your surrender to his will and to his word and your commitment to him in joyful obedience compare to what it once was? Are you as sensitive to the Spirit's prompting as you once were, or are you a little bit more hardened and it's a little bit easier to ignore than it once was? How does your love for him and your love for his people, his church, 
compared to what it once was. It's a lot harder to endure the sins and struggles of others and how they sin against you and offend you when you're far from God than it is when you're close to him. When you're close to him, there's a lot more compassion and understanding and wanting to see people get close to God and hear, endure with them for what they're going through. We put up, we seem to put up with a lot more when we're close to the Lord. Maybe you're like me. Maybe your heart is in need of revival. Maybe today is the day for repentance. Maybe today is the day the Holy One, high and lifted up, brings revival to the contrite and to the lowly. Starting with me, starting with you, in this church, and then we'll see where God takes it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who brings revival. This is nothing we can force. This is nothing we can fake. You are the one who revives hearts, and it starts with us. Help us to take our eyes off others, what they can do better, how they need to be serving us and and treating us, but see our own selves, see our own sins. Repent and confess our own sins. See our own need for you, Jesus. Build up the love in our hearts, the closeness. Revive us. Give us that energy, that strength in you through your Holy Spirit. Restore to us the love we once had, our first, most important, primary love. Show us all of the weeds in life that need to be plucked out, all of the clouds that need to be dispersed, all of the things in life that we turn to instead of you, that we fill up with instead of you, that that takes away even our desire for you. Show us those things. Forgive us of those things. Restore and revive your people today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.